and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is the show where I get to have conversations with people in the sports world, in the business world, and we get to look at everything that happens in between. Today, I have Dexter Connor. He's a vice president, senior wealth advisor, working with athletes. Dex, how you doing today, man? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. If I can get one degree closer to a lot of cool people, um, I'm always for it. I'm sure you're pretty cool, too, and we'll find that out over time. But again, I don't know, man. I'm sure some of the athletes you work with, uh, people want to talk to them a little bit more. But, Dex, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? You know, uh, listen, sports is such a big part of all of our lives for the most part. And I grew up playing sports. Um, I have brothers and sisters we all played, and we were fairly successful really up through the college level, at least. Uh, we were kind of elite athletes in that way. So um, sports and entertainment became a natural space for me to gravitate to. And um, I spent a bit of, bit of time in L.A. where I was in the entertainment industry, met a lot of people in the sports arena as well. So it became, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this later in the show, but it, came, it became a natural progression in my life in a space that I'm, I'm very comfortable with. So, you know, so far, so good. So far, so good. I mean, so you and your your siblings, you said, were elite athletes growing up. I mean, what what were your sports? What colleges were we going to, man? You didn't tell me any of this before the show. Like, this is that's some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> but we're a, we're from a small town in Tennessee called Powell, Powell, Tennessee, and so I have a couple brothers and a sister. Um, all of us were, you know, all state type athletes at the high school level. My brothers and I were, were in basketball. My, my sister actually is probably the best athlete. She was an all-state volleyball player and very good academically. So um, that led her um, to Spelman College where she played. Uh, my brother and I went to University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And then I have a, my, my youngest brother, who also was a coach for, for a time, went to Tennessee State. So, um, you know, it, it, it was a great run. None of us quite made it to that to that pro level, but I think that it definitely gave us a foundation. Uh, we allowed, learned a lot of camaraderie, the ins and outs of having different coaches, different perspective constantly thrown into your situation, injuries, you know, all kind of things come into play that you learn through sports. And so it's been great. And so, like I mentioned, one of my brothers was a coach for a while at the college level. Um, all of them are attorneys now, but one was a coach and another one is currently a um a, a, a sports agent. So that's been great um, for all of us. We've all stayed close to the game. That is awesome, man. And yeah, I think it's really important for people to know a little bit of the backstory because, you know, especially with what you're doing in wealth management, wealth advising, financial advising, whatever we want to call it, there's sure. a lot of stuff that goes on in that game. As I told you on the phone, I did it for a couple of years, not quite obviously at the level that you're at. Um, but there's a lot that goes on and the, there's a lot of, discipline that's involved there's a lot of consistency that has to be had and you probably learned a lot of that from sports so what i guess you know before we we dive into that that you know venn diagram a little bit was as you said it, it kind of was a natural way of getting into the financial space but what exactly does that mean because i, I feel like it's you know if you have a lot of money you want to do it you have some friends with a lot of money you want to do it like where what exactly was it to get you into the wealth management space that you were like yep this is this is the way i want to take my career sure Did sure I so really what happened in my career was an injury 
that um, kind of changed the course of um, how I had to begin thinking about my reality and my future. So in college, after very little play, to be quite honest, I, I busted a knee, broke a foot. And I be, after that time, I got into the theater uh, as of all things, began performing as, in, in the theater and switched kind of my focus to being an actor. And so after college, that led me to L.A., where I participated in uh, film, television, modeling, you know, a bunch of things out there. But my goal when I got there was um, I tell people that, um, you know, I, I went out there to become Denzel Washington. But after a few years, I realized I was still me, you know, so I had to, uh, you know, make a quick turn and be, got into production, had a small production company that was was fairly successful and optioning film rights and doing some gospel music. It was a great run. And through that, I made a lot of connections, learned a lot about the industry. Um, unfortunately, after several years, my father got sick, which meant I needed to move my family back to the Southeast. When I came back, um, I wanted to leverage my skills in entertainment, but really in a different space. I mean, L.A. can take a tough toll on you. You know, there are ups and downs. The career was kind of up and down. And, and lucky for me, um, here in the Atlanta marketplace, there are a lot of retired athletes. There were a lot of um, incentives uh, based on film production. So a lot of the um, management firms, investment management firms, were looking for someone who had expertise and experience in entertainment and possibly sports. And so um, I had gotten a master's at UCLA while in, in Los Angeles and um, got into an executive MBA program here in Atlanta, which really gave me access to a lot of the major firms mm -hmm. and being part of those conversations. And from there, I kind of was, you know, able to sell it and let people know what that industry was about, how we'd have to connect to it, um, what the players were like, what the various associations we need to be connected with. And um, they bought it, so to speak. You know, they understood the possibilities there. And it was for me to kind of get into that space and showcase what I could do. So you know, it, it's been a nice run. And, and listen, most people like sports. So much of the economy um, is, you know, there's so many jobs it creates, not just the athletes, but the hotels, the restaurants. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody benefits from sports. So the conversation uh, becomes much larger than that. And lucky for me, I had experience from an educational standpoint and from practical standpoint of having been an athlete and been in the entertainment space. And I could apply that to these to the position. And I think that part's really important to understand, right? It's just everything that surrounds sports. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of jobs involved. There's a lot of things that are happening. And I think, you know, we, we kind of do some quick math and there's what, like 120-ish a professional sports team of the major four sports. It's probably a little more. It's probably a little closer mm -hmm. to 130 now. But they're in all these different cities. They're in all these different places and everything they bring with it, right? You know, we always can talk about the one – one of my favorite case studies, and I'm only remembering it off the top of my head, but how much money Cleveland lost when LeBron James left the first time and then how much money they gained just the Cleveland economy did when he came back. I mean, he comes back, he drives so much traffic, so much revenue to downtown Cleveland. It is just a, an absurd number. I can't remember what it is, sure. so I'm not even going to bother trying to you know butcher it, but... It was right. just such an interesting way of looking at that. This one guy can leave a single market, go down to Miami. Now, Miami was already booming. So, you know, I'm sure That's he true. had a positive impact, but how much really? <laughs> but really yeah. leaving a market like Cleveland, who, you know, it's it's pretty cold in the winter. So people aren't going out nearly as much as they are down in Miami. There's so many different factors that go into it. Just the billions of dollars that he commands. Sure. by just showing up somewhere, you're, you're completely correct. And I think it's really interesting how you said, 
you know, you were working with some of these firms and they were looking for someone with a little bit of a sports background, which obviously you had playing sports for a while, but then also someone with an entertainment background, which is what you were doing before. So it was a really interesting way to get in. I guess when you started in the wealth management space, was it an immediate, hey, you know, I'm I'm searching for focusing on entertainers and ath- entertainers and athletes or was it a little less, you know, specific and more just like, hey, we're happy you have that background in case people have the questions. But, you know, of course, you're willing to work with anybody that you can. No, it was a it was a deliberate focus from my standpoint um, in wealth management, like other management, like other areas. Um, you really have to evaluate the spaces in which you believe that you can thrive and the natural clients that will gravitate to you or to an individual based on their credentials and all of the other things that become attractive to people. And so since I had had established inroads, I had, like I mentioned, brothers that were in the space, um, had played, you know, that allowed me to understand the industry, understand the swagger, understand what guys may be looking for, understand how to communicate in a way that's relatable. And all of that is what drives relationships and and investment management, like everything else, is a relationship business. People have to trust you and feel as if they can depend on you. So um, I was lucky, you know, just to have the experience. uh, I wouldn't say lucky. I had positioned myself to have the experience and even the educational credibility to have an immediate voice within that space and bring people to the table. And that's what, you know, that's what all firms are essentially looking for. How do we make money? <laughs> exactly. How do we yeah. make money? And and again, coming from the investment management world, the company that you're working for is going to teach you a lot of what you need to know. You don't need to be, you know, this triple finance major and an economic, uh, economic major. You're going to learn a lot from the incredible companies that you work with. They invest a lot into their employees, like I'm sure you were invested into to make sure that you knew everything. When you're dealing with people with high net wealth, you need to know what the hell you're talking about or they're not going to trust you and they're not going to give you their money. And, and going back to a piece of our conversation from a minute ago, what are some of the things that you learned in sports that have specifically helped in your financial advising wealth management career? Because I'm very confident that there are some good correlations between the two. Well, of course. I mean, dealing with teams is a big one. You know, when you go into a corporate environment, there are going to be various individuals with different skill sets, whether it be an investment manager, a wealth strategist. Of course, I'm a wealth advisor. There are private bankers. There's a team of people that you're offering to a prospect or a potential client. So building a rapport internally with those team members becomes just as important as building those external relationships that um, create opportunities. So I think that's you know the, the magnificent thing that sports um, does for young folks who play, whether you're extremely successful or not, you learn how to compete deal with per- different personalities of team members and different coaches. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, in every job, there are bosses, there are there are different structures that you deal with. And, and I don't think there's anything that prepares you for that as well as sports, particularly if you play ongoing as you grow up and, and, and kind of learn those skills. Yeah, and I think that's a really important part that sports can teach us a lot. You know, whether you're working in sports, I mean, you're in wealth management, working with athletes, but you could have utilized, you know, the wealth management or you could have learned every utilized everything you learned from sports in wealth management, working with or without athletes. It didn't really matter. So I always want to make sure, sure that that point 
is very important that people understand, you know, playing sports at a young age is still very, very good for you as a person because there's so much for you to learn as you just laid out for us, Dexter. So I really do appreciate it. And, and Michael, one thing, additional thing I'll, I'll add to, you know, as you grow up in sports, you learn to train your body, you train your mind, you learn to be persistent and insistent and consistent and diligent at times at doing what you have to do. And, and that's no different in the, in the corporate structure, whether in wealth management or other industries. You know, being a person who can figure things out and find solutions to complex problems is what's key. And that's no different when dealing with athletes or any individual within any industry. Um, they have a, a host of challenges that may keep them being for being their, their best selves. And our job is to sift through all of that and help provide clarity and focus to the client. So, you know, a lot of times nobody needs that any more than young athletes who um, oftentimes come from underserved environments or grow up with, you know, different type of strongholds at times. Or it could just be simply that you're 22 years old and now you've got $20 million. The bottom line is um, people need guidance, mentorship, perspective. Um, they want you to be empathetic to them. And then, you know, as an advisor, you help provide some vision, some framework for the magnitude of this opportunity and how it can can change the trajectory of their lives forever if they put in, you know, put in some in place some parameters. So that's always the key. <laughs> exactly. There's there's a lot of things. There are a lot of places that money can go and it can go very quickly. Um, sure, that's right. <laughs> And people always forget those contracts. Someone signs a $50 million contract. You don't put $50 million in the bank. You're probably getting closer to 25, if even less, depending on the state you live in. So I, I know, I know, uh, you know, I, not too many people out there want to hear that, oh, poor athlete only made $25 million. But that's just a good piece of the puzzle that we all have to kind of remember. Well, and that's, and Michael, that's an important piece. And that's where so many guys get in trouble. They don't understand finance or how taxes work, how different things work. And, it becomes very embarrassing at times to be an athlete and be the guy who used to be so-and-so or he, he used to have $25 million because regardless of how young you, an athlete may have been in making that kind of money, like I said, no, most people are not sympathetic to that individual once they lose it. They'll say, hi in the world, could a, could a guy blow through all that money? But the reality of it is most time is, is um, sometimes it's a lack of dis discipline, but oftentimes there's a almost saying, um, authenticity to it. I mean, like I mentioned before, people are helping mom, helping cousins. You know, if you come from a, a underserved environment, oftentimes there are a lot of people who need help and a lot of people who, you know, if you give them 50,000, 10,000 will end up being back in a month because they too don't have the, um, the education to understand how to, to, the money can work for them or what they need to be doing. So, that's a challenge, too. I mean, if an individual or, or an athlete comes from an environment um, in some sports, for instance, like golf, most time, um, you know, uh, those athletes don't necessarily come from underserved environments because you have to have the equipment and all of that. Mm -hmm. You have to have access to a golf course. So my point is, a lot of times those athletes may not struggle like a guy who they play football or basketball and has not had access to that type of expertise. So, um you know, it's just kind of part of the deal. Yeah, and I think that part's very, uh, very important to highlight as well because, yes, uh, it depends on where you come from. That is a pretty big piece of piece it of this does. puzzle. Nature, nurture, yeah. that whole thing is all very, very important sure. to the conversation. And I guess, you know, speaking to that specifically with, with the athletes that you work with, 
understanding, you know, what are those challenges, right? Like we know the easy one is they make a lot of money at 19, 20, 21 years old. And, you know, they're probably out of the league if they're lucky by 30, 32, you know, have a nice 10 year career, have a nice 11 year career, but not many athletes do that. I think the average, um, average length of a career in the NFL is a little over two years. The NBA is a little over three baseball is a little different, but what are some of those challenges that, you know, you know, as a wealth advisor to athletes, but many of us people here on the outside, not really knowing the inside, we don't really pay attention to or really even think of. Sure. Well, well, you you mentioned that that's the biggest challenge. You make an abundance of money in a very small amount of time early in your career. An athlete does. And, And so, they have no, like I mentioned earlier, framework of what that means, how how far that money may go, or even how long their career may last. And usually it lasts a lot long, excuse me, uh, um, it's, it's over a lot sooner than they had hoped. And so they have to have a plan. I mean, if you don't have a plan, then, then you're going to, in most cases, you're going to overspend if you don't have a good team around you that can help educate you on the nuances of the situation and how to plan for the future, if you have a bad team, then, then, you know, you're going to be doomed ultimately. So helping guys to understand the gravity of the moment, putting together a financial plan, various scenarios at times so they can understand what it means to buy, uh, you know, a Ferrari versus a BMW 750, you know, I mean, there's a difference there. And so each each individual has to decide what they're comfortable with because, you know, a guy could sign a $50 million contract in a couple of years or he may not. So my job is to lay out the different scenarios to help them to understand what it means to make certain t- decisions, to provide perspective. And to some degree, some mentorship based on my own life experiences, because usually I'm, you know, at least 10 years older than these guys. Mm -hmm. And so that's my job. But it's up to them to have the discipline and to gain the foresight along the way to execute that plan. All we can do is help you put one in place. But those those um, those athletes have to be willing to stick to it. And that's the tough part when there's so many things pulling out these young young men and young ladies to spend, 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 and to live that life that they've been dreaming about since they were a kid. And I'm sure it's fun, right? I'm sure you're not telling them, hey, you can't go out and buy a car, of course. But yeah, it's also understanding that the differences between those cars is pretty important. A car gets you from point A to point B. It doesn't really matter which one it is. Do you need the one that costs half a million dollars or can you know you get by with the one that only costs 150K? <laughs> like, might sound like a lot, but you know, it might sound like a little, but $350,000 goes a really long way, especially if you invest it properly. And I guess with that, that plan aspect of it, how often does somebody just completely disregard, you know, they're paying you for the plan, right? Like how often do people just completely disregard it and just go do whatever they want to do anyway? All the time. I mean, a lot of times it's hard for a young guy who's 24 and, you know, to understand the significance of a plan or to look toward retirement or to look toward the future in that way. I mean, we're a, we're a, um, you know, got to have it now kind of society. And the generation is somewhat like that. And unfortunately, that can get you in a bind. And, and, and no matter how many athletes we see go down that road of essentially financial devastation, going from, you know, the top of the mountain to the bottom, it seems like it doesn't resonate necessarily with a lot of guys. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of guys who are very responsible, done a, done a great job. 
but there are so many more who could have had a tremendous start on life. I mean, you know, the NFL, the what the, the base salary is what five hundred fifty thousand, whatever whatever that may be, five hundred fifty thousand or so. So even if you just play three years, like you mentioned, you're not rich, but you have a really good start on life if you can save, you can invest, and then set your life up where you can go into something else, understanding that it's gonna be very difficult to go into another job right out of the NFL making five hundred and fifty thousand. But, you know, if if Again, part of the plan is you're going to finish your education or go back to school or we can begin thinking of those things. Um, then a lot of times they can transition to another sector, still have their dignity intact, feel comfortable with who they are, have their confidence and move on to um, to the new, next phase of life. And I think that part's very important, as you said, in minimum contract, that's what most of these guys are making. They're not making that much money. Um, you know, exactly. most of the exactly. yeah, most of the NFL, we see, you know, Joe Burrow as of today just signed a $36 million contract or whatever, and the Giants fourth overall pick here in, in New York. I think he signed a $32 million contract or whatever that number ends up being. Yeah, those dudes are doing great. But after, you know, that first round. The numbers go down, the years go down, the opportunities go down, and then eventually we start getting the fourth, fifth, and everything behind it. That's where most of the league is made up because that's where most of the players are drafted, right, after the fourth round. And the, the contracts aren't very big there. And you really have to understand that you're, if you're getting drafted that late, you're not going to get as many opportunities. You're not going to get as many um, ways to make money. So you really do have to pay attention to the way you spend it. But I also can't blame these guys. Hey. Someone gave me five hundred thousand dollars. I'm probably going to go spend a hundred of it. Pretty dumb, uh, and then hopefully think of a good way to you know save the rest. Well, you, you know, and, and that's fair, fair enough, Michael. Um, but it's interesting that if the what I'm trying to showcase to most guys is that they have an opportunity through the money that they're making, and they also have a certain social capital as well that is very valuable at the time that they are pro athletes or even college athletes. I mean. Most people will take a meeting. Most people are interested in hearing or being around these guys. And that can lead to other tremendous opportunities, depending on how they handle it, from endorsements to just inroads to firms where they can work. Um, and, but leveraging that at a time where you're hot is so key because three or four years out the league, there's a, essentially a, a new you, if you will, uh, an individual who's the, the, the latest you know, the latest and greatest. So um, these athletes, as I mentioned earlier, have a tremendous opportunity. And that's what it is. It's an opportunity to push their lives forward in a tremendous way. But they have to see it as such. It's not just, you know, some of them we could become multimillionaires. Most of them will not. But that doesn't mean that you can't be living a lot better than most people in the society based on the start that you've gotten in life. But a lot of times based on not only hard work, but gifts. I mean, some of these guys have been star athletes since they were 10, you know, and that becomes some of the challenge at times because there's a certain amount of or um, I don't know how you say it. But some, yeah, some guys are a little spoiled. They're not used to having to go out into to a society and not be an athlete where things may be catered to them in a certain way. So learning all of that, learning how to transition into being essentially a normal person can be very crippling for some some athletes. And I think if they're financially stable, like in any situation, that can help make it a lot easier. <laughs> yes, that would absolutely make it a lot easier. And I think, you know, people, again, 
it's you know society saying oh boohoo this poor athlete's not treated like gold but again if you're if something has been done for you or to you since you were 10 8 10 12 years old yeah, right, you're right. gonna get used to it right like it's kind of you know you have to think about it from that perspective so it, it's it's disappointing but it's one of those things where that's just kind of you know it's unfortunate our society is more of a um rinse repeat recycle type of things like oh you're yeah. oh you're you're done okay I'm, I'm gonna root for the running back that's on the giants now and Hey, right. Tiki Barber doesn't mean anything to me. It's all about Saquon. You know, it's just one of those things where it's unfortunate, but that's how it goes. And I guess with with working, you know, it sounds like you kind of run the gamut between, you know, some of these higher profile athletes and some of these, you know, we'll call them lower profile athletes or lower known athletes. How how do your conversations differ with, again, some of those ones that you can kind of say, like, dude, if you're in the league for three years, like, that is awesome. Let's take advantage of it. Versus some of these guys who are signing, you know, two contracts in the NBA or the NFL that, you know, can total well over $50 million. How do those conversations differ? And, and how do you have to make sure that they still feel like they're the most important person in the room? Because I feel like, again, with star athletes, even though seventh round picks, they were very, very impressive in high school and college, right? Like, they weren't sure. just some slum. Yeah. They, they were very highly touted and well-known. Like, how do you still kind of have to finally walk that line to make sure and be like, hey, you know, three years in the league's pretty good, man. Like, I think it could be worse. Yeah, I mean, look, look, they, they any client that I take on or prospect that I deal with is a priority to me. I mean, we don't know the direction that their career is going to go. You can be the greatest athlete in the world and bust the knee and it's over. So we don't know. So we have to plan accordingly. And I think it's it's reasonable to be cautious early on regarding your investments. And then, listen, once you get to that second contract for 50 million, we make it, you know, pick our fro out a little bit. Right. We can do a little we can do a little extra then because it is reasonable to enjoy now. I mean, life is not guaranteed to anyone. So we want to enjoy now while still planning for the future. And so I think a lot of it comes down to the numbers and that's setting a plan, a financial plan, a wealth plan that can accommodate the ups and downs of life that helps to predict things that are natural, um, you know, growth components that people have within a financial plan and then adjusting that as we go along. I mean, it's not going to be something that is buttoned up and you don't look at it for the next five years. Life is going to happen and people are going to get, be traded. Houses are more expensive in San Francisco than they are here in Atlanta. It's just the reality of it. You know, insurance is different. People get married. People get divorced, have kids. They're all kind of things that are just life. And it's key, again, to have that, that good financial team in place, have someone who uh, has lived a little bit of life, who can provide some perspective to the numbers, but beyond the numbers as well about um, kind of the ups and downs of things in a realistic way um, so that can be that can be put in place. You know, nothing is foolproof, but mm -hmm. without a plan, we know how that plays out. So to have yeah. a good, strong plan in most cases um, becomes the, the backdrop for success. You can always pivot a plan if you need to. You can always change a couple of things along the way. But if you had nothing there, you can't change anything. And you're probably in a very bad situation then. And it's not going to work out well for you. It's not going to work out well for the athlete. And that's, again, not the thing that we're trying to do. And sure. and with that, you know, you bring up prospects, sure. you bring up for clients. Sure. How, how do you go about finding prospects and clients? We know we're down in Atlanta. There's three major sports teams down there. I think they might have an MLS team too. I don't, I don't really know. But as you said, there's there's entertainment. There's a lot of filming down in Atlanta and Georgia. Um, we know the the hip-hop and rap community. 
ATL baby, you know, ushers down there. So I assume he has to bring some people down with them. Right. So what, how do you go about finding prospects and finding clients in a specific city that is big, but of course, you know, up here in New York city, I can't really compare anything. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of wealth management is word of mouth. You know, you do, when you do a good job for people, you tend to meet their friends. They tend to, to, to tout that you've been, um, done well for them. So that's the key. I mean, no matter how big or how small the client, people know other people. And so if, if, if an individual in wealth management or any industry takes the time to create positive relationships, make a positive impression, do what you're going to say, follow up, be excellent in how you perform, that leads to recommendations. And, and that's the best way because people want to see credibility when you get into, you know, financial, you know, sometimes wealth advisors get a bad rap, you know, or, or they get a rap that they've earned through not being transparent or whatever that may be. So it can be usually athletes are somewhat on guard because they've heard the horror stories. But obviously, if you've been referred from someone that gets you to second base, where they at least feel like it's a credible referral, it's an honest kind of communication. And then then it's a matter of allowing those relationships to grow, not pushing, but making sure it's the right fit. Because the reality of it, Michael, is I don't want to waste my time on a guy either who's going to you know spin up all his money in the first year and then point at me and say, well, the wealthy, uh, you know, so I don't want to get in that. So usually it's an interview kind of both ways. An athlete is evaluating me for the possibilities I may bring and I'm evaluating them as well, kind of based on their track record and and how we gel, because um, obviously there needs to be a chemistry there. There needs to, because it's an ongoing communication and you don't want to be, be a situation where the wealth advisor Every time you call an athlete, you're like, ah, yeah. or vice versa. You know, it's got to be a, a positive relationship um, that fits. And those are the kind of relationships that can grow. So referrals, I guess, to answer your question is, is the best way or the most organic way in which I, you know, gain, gain new relationships. I don't care what anyone says. I went to school for marketing. I've done some marketing, some advertising. Word of mouth will always and forever be the greatest piece of advertising so if you can get people to talk about you in a very good way and spread your name and your word i think that's the most important thing and obviously it's been working pretty well for you dex so we appreciate the heck out of you there you also um you brought up your brother before him being a a sports agent and after the show i'm going to ask you to uh, introduce me so i can get him on here as well so i thought i'd do it live so that way uh, a little extra (laughs) accountability on your end but um i mean is it is it let me well look i'll go ahead and plug him right now okay his name is isaac connor and he's currently with a3 athletics Uh, they're based in knoxville they they represent a lot of um football guys they probably got 20 or 30 football guys they got some basketball guys they got some golfers he's been an agent for uh probably 10 to 15 years a great guy he's an attorney Uh, he does a great job with his clients and obviously we collaborate a lot again it goes back to those relationships so yeah, you know, I used to beat up on him a little bit on the court, of course, but, you know, there's love there. He was a great, a great um, basketball player in his time, and he's been able to transition his skill set as an attorney um, in, into being a, a tremendous sports agent. So, yeah, man, we'll, we'll get him on uh, within the next couple of weeks. 
appreciate that, man. I was going to ask, you know, how how much how much collaboration is there between you and him? And it sounds like obviously there is some overlap, but I, I assume not every single one of his clients use you, and not every single one of your clients use him. Of course, that sounds a little um, not not going to say the word shady. I'm not going to say the word shady, but you know what what is that like? And an understanding, you know, some people, you know, it's it's probably a nice relationship you have with your brother, but still, you have to show that you're capable of doing the job. He's probably not going to refer his clients to you because he doesn't want to lose them if you're not doing a good job, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it has to be, obviously we have the relationship intact, but we have to trust each other professionally as well in what we do. And and, and when you have a relationship, you know, as long as we have, you you get to know each other, you, you have certain synergies, and it becomes really a very good opportunity for athletes to, um, get both of our services at times. Sometimes, you know, we don't share clients. So it just depends on what the athlete needs and what becomes the best fit. I mean, it's disingenuous for him to refer someone to me if they've already got a great wealth advisor in place that they're happy with. So again, people are very in tune with if you're selling them kind of, you know, <laughs> something not genuine versus um, doing so. So we would never compromise our reputations or our credibility in the space by not by not being genuine in the kind of referrals that we do but listen man i love um my brother and um you know in in, in sharing clients i mean it's, it's again it's very organic and and luckily we're in two different segments of um sports that most athletes need i mean you need a good agent you need a good wealth advisor so the more we can collaborate the, the more we naturally can bring value to clients so when it works it's beautiful you know and um and we're definitely gonna you know try to do that as as, as often as we can or when it makes sense let me say it like that but i've had exactly. but, but but let me just say i mean but obviously i have relationships with other agents other sports managers and this and that and so we're careful you know i protect those relationships just the same i mean i have they have to know too that i'm not you know mm -hmm. trying to cherry pick guys to go over you know do this and that so the repu your reputation follows you everywhere. I mean, and sometimes it precedes you and you want it to do that in a positive way. So, um, you know, being positive, upbeat, genuine, you know, that's part of my hook, man. I mean, you know, people have got to know that, listen, Dexter's not going to, he's not, he's not going to screw me. He's going to, he's going to be authentic in his dealings. He's going to be, his morals are going to be on point and we're going to, we're going to do good business. And that's, that's what you got to do, man, especially in a, in a financial position and not just any financial position when you're dealing with other people's money. Um, I have found, again, being in that seat for a couple years, again, not quite the same level, but a lot of true colors are shown when you're talking about people's money. Um, people really, they don't hold back. Um, and it was very enlightening, I guess, to say the least. So I'm sure yeah. you've had many of those conversations as well. And, and, you know, working off that conversation about your brother, you're a member of, as you said before, you have to become a member of teams, right? You're, you're, you know, you're a little member of each athlete. They have their team. They have their agent. Obviously, they have their parents. I'm sure they have some sort of business manager, depending. And there's all these other people that are involved. And you're one of those team members. How do those conversations look when... You know, you have to get five or six of these people around a table to talk about an athlete, whether it's doing an endorsement deal or if it's doing a specific 
um, you know, having a specific opportunity where they need all these different people involved. What do those conversations look like? Because us people on the outside, we've never really been in those rooms before. And I, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty curious, but I also think it's a really interesting point to bring up knowing that you have so many other people, not just the athlete to deal with as well. Yeah. Michael, it's kind of like a courting process that starts off slow and you gradually gain steam and credibility with people. So usually that doesn't happen right away because the first thing we have to do is get, build a rapport and I have to gain clarity on what it is this this athlete even needs because that that changes from athlete to athlete or entertainer to entertainer because I deal with those as well. And so identifying where those holes may be within their within their team, having solid recommendations, people I've built a rapport with, because again, one record, one bad recommendation can mess up my credibility, kind of like you mentioned earlier. So I want to make sure that the success teams I have in place are tremendous and ready to do business. And then if you know, if if the athlete doesn't like a particular person on that team or whatnot, we have the flexibility to change and adapt as we go because those personalities also have to fit. Right. But but so that's how it goes. It's a gradual process. Um, and then we we gradually introduce I gradually introduce athletes to other people on what I call my success team so that um, they can get be comfortable and have the necessary team in place where they can focus on what they do best, mm-hmm. which is sports. But still, I try to educate them in a way along the way where they have a good enough feel for what we're doing. I mean, it, over time, an athlete's knowledge base within the space, for instance, of wealth management should gradually grow, right? They may never be an expert like me. I'm trained in the space. Mm-hmm. But as they get older and we're doing more things with their investments, we're offering them private banking, they're getting loans, they're engaging, having, in, beginning to have more of a all-inclusive or a holistic banking relationship, their knowledge in the space should grow as well. And if it doesn't, then I'm doing something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And also, as it grows, that's how they gain more trust in what I'm doing. It's got to be a sense of transparency. Because, listen, it's like any other industry. There are always other advisors out there who are whispering to them, hey, come over here, you know, (laughs) and things like that. So they need to be growing in the space and feeling comfortable. And that happens through me, um, you know, exposing them to the success team. And they see their career growing and their opportunities growing. And I think that's, again, that's how the word of mouth is going to spread, right? That's how, you know, if people feel confident, if they're learning, if you're educating, you're not just telling them, hey, put your your money over here. This is great. Right, right. Why am I putting my money over there? Why am I putting this much money over there? What is this going to do for me? Why is it going to do that? Like, if you can educate people, they're going to be much, much happier. I'm going to want to have those conversations more. Now, again, maybe they don't want to become experts like you. That's not their place, but it's learning, it's understanding along the way that's really important and can really drive that trust factor up significantly. Now, a lot of people are going to say, oh, he's making me money, I don't care. But let's be honest, man, you want to know why you're making the money because once the money starts going down, you're really going to want to know why the money went down because it doesn't always go up. I think that's a misconception in the market. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they, sh- they should gradually at least have a working knowledge of what's going on. And, and then you know, so much of management, and we do this now, is, is goals-based. I mean, if something like COVID-19 happens, uh, you know, the market takes a plunge, right? I mean, things happen. But the question that most athletes and individuals have to ask themselves, am I still in line with reaching my goals, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times people come into the market, they just want to make as much money as they can, you know, 
but that's unrealistic, right? So obviously they praise you when the market's up and they, you know, ready to cuss at you when it's down. But if we have a goal, if we have specific goals and that's where that plan comes in, we can evaluate the metrics every so often and say, they can say, Dex, am I in line with reaching our goals? And that gives them something directly to assess me on and for me to bring back them and say, hey, man, the market is down, but you're still in line with your goals. We have prepared for something negative to happen in the markets, right? So a lot of it goes back to that preparation I was talking about earlier in the conversation and not looking at, which a lot of people do, the greed of just how do I make as much money as I can? Listen, we all want to be Warren Buffett, right? But it becomes more reasonable um, to have specific goals as to align an investment approach um, with those goals so that we then can have a end date, so to speak, where we can say, are we meeting the goals or are we not? And that's the best way to set up a financial plan. And I mean, again, setting up that plan and making sure everybody is on pace for it. I think, again, one thing people kind of forgot was that the market does go down. Um, You know, that's that's another conversation. (laughs) Yeah, of course. But people, you know, it's funny, you know, my parents who have been around, you know, for 50 whatever years, when the market goes down, they're always shocked. And it's like, doesn't this is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to go up. It's supposed to go down. Like, it's really not that surprising. But really, the whole world goes up in arms when the market drops 10%, which it's supposed to do once every five years, if I'm not mistaken. Dex, you can correct me on that one. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things that it's it, it angers me. Let me just say that. I think we you and I personally have that conversation. So we don't need to go there. But one thing you were talking about, you know, with COVID-19, the coronavirus, everything that's going on, we're already starting to see athletes decide not to play. And now I have to assume many of them have had conversations with, you know, someone of your ilk, someone of your profession to understand, hey, if I don't play this year, if I don't get paid for an entire year, that's significant, right? Like maybe next year you'll probably come back and be able to play, but obviously now everything's up in arms. Have you had to have any of those very real conversations with players or with athletes of, You know, this is what your plan looks like if we just take out an entire year of you not making any money or making a significant amount less. Have you had any of those conversations recently? Yeah, you know, that's 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 a tough topic to 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 kind of evaluate because everybody's uncertain about what these seasons mean, what the actual pay is going to be. If a guy sits out, I mean, will he have a job next year or will someone else take his spot? I mean, there are so many things unknown. And this is to me highlights more than any other time that I can remember in in sports history where a plan is so necessary because once an individual, no matter the profession, loses their job or gets furloughed or there's some sense of instability surrounding income, the question is, okay, what do I have? How long can I survive? Am I okay? Am I not okay? And that's when you have to have had a plan up to this point. Right. And that's when you can really assess what it means to not be paid now and to hopefully be in a position where you can handle that if they only pay you half of what you had hoped or if you can't play until next year, or they cancel the season and all of these things. So, yes, to answer your question, that's always a tough conversation to have if there's been no preparation. Mm-hmm. If there has been preparation, then it becomes a conversation that you can have where you know, at the forefront can be the health and safety of the individual. Are they comfortable from a health standpoint? What does that mean? Are they at an at-risk category because they have asthma or mm-hmm. whatever that may be? Um, oftentimes, we'll take other type of risk regarding trying to re- get income or different things 
if we're not properly set up financially. That's just how the world works. Um, and, and that's not anyone's fault, you know, no. in certain situations. But if you have to work sometime to put food on the table or because, you know, your mortgage is due, um, it is what it is. But oftentimes these players or sometimes these players don't have to be in that situation if they have taken the proper steps to prepare before now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key takeaway from that. That is absolutely the key takeaway from that. And Dex, this has been this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time today. Any other wisdoms or nuggets you want to leave everybody with? <laughs> no, nah, man. Listen, I appreciate you having me on. This is this has been great, you know. And um, you know, you have to bring me back on here in a few months or something, man. Let's keep the conversation Amen. going because you know, obviously, the society sports will be at a totally different place in a couple months. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, NFL like four days. Yeah, in like I mean, four training. days, everything starts to change again. So I'm, exactly. I'm excited, man. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's it's an exciting time. You know, I hope that we can do this as safely as possible. It's an interesting time in sports. The Olympics got postponed. What mm-hmm. to next? I mean, so it's so much going on. But I think we have to look at it as opportunities to, you know, increase our standing in terms of the financial plan or to get our health in order, to get our ideas in order, to be more focused. So we have to look at it from that purview so that when we come out of this thing, man, we're stronger than when we, when we started. So I guess that's that when we started, man, I appreciate the hell out of that. <laughs> Dexter Connor, vice president, senior wealth advisor. Really appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. And listen, oh, for any yeah. sports guys listening, if they need to get into contact with me, if they need I- some advice, under, unfortunately, I don't have a bunch of these handles like a lot of guys, you know, but I got a phone number, right? So I, my phone number is 818-402-5835. So, I mean, if you're serious, you need some advice, you want to explore some possibilities, wealth management, you need somebody on your team, give me a call and let's, uh, let's discuss it. Yes, I forgot to ask that. I was right about to ask it. And then you, you're you much, much better at this than I am. And yeah, I'll make sure that that number is in the show notes for anybody paying attention. That way you can give Dex a call, talk to him a little bit, ask him some questions. So really appreciate it, time, Dex. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man.